I'm your host, Aaron Groves, and welcome to the Pop Podcast. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Pop Podcast. Happy Halloween. The spooky season is over. This podcast is launching on Halloween. And the irony of all of this is I hope everyone indulged and enjoyed all of their candy. But this is a health and wellness episode for all of you. We get down to the basics with nutrition. And guys, Whitney is incredible. So I have Whitney Stewart on the podcast. She is a registered dietitian nutritionist and a certified diabetes care and education specialist. She works with patients one-on-one online to optimize their health and blood sugar. We dive into so many things in this episode that I am obsessed with, and we're definitely going to have a part two episode, but we talk a lot about Eastern medicine versus Western medicine, and she has a very interesting take on the two of these and how Western medicine was derived from Eastern medicine in a sense. We talk about gut health, which is huge, and her very direct and honest feedback on gut health and the importance of that in our life. We talk about caffeine, the importance of sleep, hormone health for both males and females, and sustainability in your dieting practice. So we our sustainability with dieting. As you'll learn, no diet truly works for a long time. So we dive into so many different things and I absolutely am obsessed with this episode. This is a part of me that I want to tap into more on this podcast because I preach so much about health and wellness and she gives you the plain as day facts and opinions that she has based off of the education that she has and also life experiences that she has gone through. So I am super excited to have Whitney Stewart on the podcast and let's get right into it. Where did your, I know you have a little bit of a background or a history rather with some health concerns. So as I was like, obviously doing a little bit of research on you, which is ironic, my sister had Crohn's. So I'm very familiar with like Crohn's and colitis. Yeah. So is that where your journey and passion for health and wellness stem from was just personal issues? Um, Yes, personal issues, but um, not colitis. I wish that that would have been my first um, experience with health. Um, I actually... If I go back to senior year of college, of high school when I was applying for college, I started having like episodes of like vomiting and like lots of like food intolerances. And I had been a kid who ate like everything, like yeah. bottomless stomach, iron stomach, anything was fine. And suddenly my body was reacting with everything. And I think at first a lot of the doctors were like, oh, it's an eating disorder. You know, she's a senior in high school. And I had random tests done like all through senior year. I finally was diagnosed with celiac at the end of my senior year and I had had mono. And so like my just like overall immune system and gut was completely overwhelmed. And I was also like a 4.0 valedictorian doing dual college credit, working full time, you know, all the things like top of my class, like the standard kind of classic like autoimmune triggers that take off. So I also decided to go to SMU and (laughs) Dallas in 2009 was very different than Dallas now. Mm -hmm. So at that time, the gluten friendliness of Dallas did not exist. And so moving here within three months of a diagnosis completely on my own, my family actually like didn't move me down. They were like, we'll come down and see you at family weekend. Good luck. And so I came down and SMU was sorely underprepared for celiac. Like they had chefs that were making fried food and waffles and pancakes and those amazing things. So that was kind of my first experience at being like, this is what um, lack of nourishment is. Mm -hmm. And I had never experienced that. Like I grew up on a farm. We had a co-op, like very real food rooted. And so it was a big wake-up call for a 18-year-old who liked, you know, crackers and bread. Mm-hmm. But in Seattle, it was so much easier. And so in Dallas, I actually had to email the dining hall 
at what times I was going to be eating so that they could provide me a plate of food because the only gluten-free options at that time were their, they had like a black bean burrito, their omelet bar, their salad bar, and their fruit. So where do they feel the celiac? I know fast forward to now where 10 plus years past that there's so many gluten-free options, but when you got diagnosed, kind of like you alluded to, it was so soon on, where do they feel that stemmed from? Was there a certain event in your life or was it just something that developed over time? Because from my personal experience, I don't think I, I, I'm not allergic because I didn't have your reaction, but I definitely feel if I eat pizza, I'm just like, oh, or any type of gluten, it just doesn't resonate in my body. Yeah. So um, interesting, you know, celiac is more of like an autoimmune condition where you can't tolerate or process gluten different than a gluten intolerance or a gluten allergy, right? They're all different. Yeah. Um, But the onset was really, I think that kind of like stressful senior year, like Mm -hmm. I wasn't sleeping, I was drinking, I was eating poorly, like all of these stress kind of manifest together and triggered that autoimmune. And there's other autoimmune stuff in my family. And there's other symptoms that I think at that age, you're so resilient, you just ignore them mm-hmm. until they finally like slap you in the face. There's always a wake up call, if you will, yeah. of, hey, this is when you really need to shift mm-hmm. your diet and your overall life if you want to see a change. So was that the wake up call, if you will, that you had that really took you down the path of nutrition and yeah. eventually what you do for a living. So my goal had always been to be um, an OB, which is oh, funny. Okay. Like I loved like female health. I loved, um, actually was like the TA of our sex ed class, like in seventh and eighth grade. Like I just loved like metabolism and anatomy and how things worked and development. And so I wrote like all the tests for like both classes. I thought it was so fascinating. And I worked under um, the OB who actually delivered me small town problems um, <laughs> all through high school. And before I left, um, her like parting words and advice for me was, um, if you want to work closely with your patients, I would consider not becoming an OB. And that was really heartbreaking for me because that was mm-hmm. what I was set on. But she had experienced the change and the shift in healthcare, just being like a little bit more rushed and she didn't have time with her patients anymore and insurance had really kind of dictated Mm -hmm. that role. And so I went into college knowing pre-med was my route and like caretaking was kind of my route. Um, And the same year that I started at SMU on like a uh, science-based scholarship, they opened a Um, applied physiology program that had anatomy, exercise physiology, nutrition, and you could pair it with the pre-med track. And that felt pretty good to me. Also because I had this new celiac diagnosis where they had like given me a paper and said, don't eat gluten. And that was the only advice I was given. And so it felt like healing for me, but it also felt like fulfilling my passion together. We're going to touch a little bit on Eastern versus Western medicine because this is something that I come from a family and it's nothing against them, but like very much like Western medicine. Yeah. Very much old school, very much put a band-aid over this problem. I think that's probably what- Or like NyQuil or Robitussin Mm -hmm. or like 14 epiprofens or like two Motrin and two Midol. Shout out to my parents. (laughs) Yeah. Just very- And for me, I don't know, I don't even, I didn't have an event like you, but I just got so obsessed with what I was putting in my body and how I was feeling. And now I'm convinced that you can cure anything with eating the right things. But I feel like there's so much that people don't know in your experience and what you're doing in nutrition in your field. What's the biggest difference between Eastern and Western medicine that you want people out there listening to understand if they're kind of at a roadblock, maybe they're leaning more towards Western medicine where it's old school, put a bandaid on it, but they really want to shift more towards that Eastern medicine where it's looking at the whole body and recognizing that what you put in it is a lifelong effect. Mm So that's a really good question. The first thing to consider is that the body is entirely interconnected and that it works together. And so if you have a liver problem, it's not just a liver problem. Exactly. Right. And so if you are working with a doctor who is isolating your organs into specific symptoms, you have to take a step back and realize like the body is very interconnected. The other thing to know is that Western medicine evolved out of an industry that is based off of Eastern medicine. 
And so there are a ton of Eastern medicine principles that have been evolved and reworked and marketed and turned into big pharma in Western medicine. And so I think a lot of times we see Eastern medicine as being this like, whoa, like big woo-woo approach. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not that far off from what we have on the other side and what we've adapted to. And so I think I was always really skeptical. Like I always call myself like woo skeptical. Like when people are a little bit more into like woo-woo medicine or it's a little bit more Eastern, like I'm a little mm, thrown off because I was... I have a degree in conventional medicine, yeah. right? But when I look at acupuncture and I look at the benefits of getting into a parasympathetic state and I look how that helps to relax your gut and helps your motility and suddenly you eat better and then you don't need to take that PPI and you just reversed it by breathing, like that seems pretty incredible, right? So it's like I could take the pill or I could do the acupuncture or I could learn how to breathe And the two outcomes are very similar, even though the action is different. The biggest shift that I felt is that I was, I wasn't putting a bandaid on things anymore. Mm -hmm. I was no longer trying to put an Advil to a headache. I was solving the deep rooted issue. I was dehydrated. I was malnourished. I Mm -hmm. wasn't getting certain. And that's when something really flipped in me as I was like, I feel so much better for a longer period of time. And that's when I became addicted to those endorphins and that feeling, if you will, we're going to hit on gut health because this is again, one of my favorite topics as well. How important is the gut in the overall health of your body? And maybe along those same lines, like there's a misconception that you feel a lot of people talk about like, oh, it's not important or it is. What's your take on gut health? So I think that I really underestimated gut health, even having my own gut health issues. um, I really underestimated it for a long period of time. But when you start looking at fertility and conception, this is like really, really pivotal because you start looking at as a baby is born, it is literally rolling through all of this microbiome that you have created. And I think that that was the first point at which I was like, okay, like the only thing that my child is going to be inoculated with is like what I have provided for it Mm -hmm. through my own gut health. And that feels like very lofty and that feels like a lot of work and really heavy, but it also makes me realize as I get curious, similar to how you're focusing on root cause with your own health now, that if I take a step back and think like, hmm, what are some of the things that I have and some of the symptoms I have and could that have been from what my mom experienced or what my grandma experienced. And like some of the research now is showing that like, yes, it comes from your parents, but also like your grandparents, Mm -hmm. right? Like this genetic kind of downstream play. And that all comes together really through that gut. How can people start to heal their gut? Or what are a few tactical, simple things? I know you're big on simple things that people can do starting now or tomorrow to start to improve their gut health and their overall life. So reducing the intake of like NSAIDs, I would say, like if you're a big use of like ibuprofen, Advil, Tylenol, like anything, like if you are medicating daily regularly, that is a really simple place to start and to step back and say, one, why am I taking this? And two, you know, what is the root cause? Like, is it dehydration? Is it lack of sleep? Is it the 14 martinis I drink a week? (laughs) (laughs) Shout out Albernays. Okay. So what is the cause of that in the first place? And then like, could I do ginger? Could I do ginger and turmeric? Could I do something that's like a natural anti-inflammatory if I'm trying to be preventative? I think there are still like a lot of doctors out there that are using NSAIDs as preventative medicine. And like, there's a better way to do that. So Mm -hmm. that's a biggie. Okay. I would say for gut, um, we also try to like reduce antibiotic use. And I Mm. think- if you have and need antibiotics, they're a powerful drug for a powerful purpose at a certain time that you really work to then re-inoculate your gut afterwards that you're taking not just a probiotic, but a specific strain probiotic. Probiotics are strain specific. You can't just take a general one. Um, and that you also take a prebiotic because mm-hmm. most of the foods that we eat are not naturally prebiotic anymore. There's great prebiotic foods out there. You don't have to get it in a pill or supplement. Um, But most of us don't eat prebiotic foods. So doing those two things like for three to six months as an increased intake after antibiotic use is really important. 
what's what is a probiotic that you recommend generally for people i know obviously consult your doctor and stuff like that (laughs) but if someone's out there because i'm super passionate about this too i've taken seed for and i can i swear by this product i don't know if you're going to disagree with me but i swear by actually seed was one of the first paid campaigns i ever did because i believe so heavily in their product and their research Mm -hmm. they are a pre and probiotic together which i love and so symbiotic is what they call their product yeah so you can just take one stop shop it's great Mm -hmm. seed is great if you're not actively working on your gut health if it's like maintained stabilize we're not looking for specific strains that's kind of a great like end result like i'm done with a protocol i did um, the other one I really like is Megaspore. Megaspore is a spore-based probiotic. Okay. Um, again, just like a little bit better for getting where it needs to go in your gut and replenishing that area. Is there a good time of day that you recommend people usually taking probiotics or does it matter in terms of the when that you... I think sustainability is huge. Like when are you going to take it that you're always going to take it? Consistency. Yeah. Like me and my, and my prenatals at 9.30 at night, I'm like, I'll take it tomorrow. It doesn't work. So I'm going to take it in the morning. Right. Okay. Um, but probiotics in general, there's some research to show it does better at night because then it can sit overnight and kind of sit in your gut. But overall, it's more about consistency. Consistency in anything in life. Back yeah. on the nutrition track. So obviously your gut health, I feel, is where it starts. And I've listened to a lot of polarizing, honestly, mm-hmm. topics on gut health. Some say it's super important. Some don't. In terms of overall nutrition, I'm going to ask you a broad question, then we're going to narrow it in. In your mind, what does a quote unquote healthy person look like and feel like to you? That's a really good question because I think that nutrition is very individualized and I feel like for so long we've tried to like put it in a box mm-hmm. um, and clinically working clinically, we put it into a box all the time. Insurance companies, life insurance companies are like, well, what's our BMI and do they have hypertension and what's their waist size? And we do all these measurements that like don't actually matter. So the um, health metrics that I use with my patients is usually like body composition. Like, Mm. are you, do you have muscle? Do you have fat? How much do you have? Has it gotten more? Has it gotten less? How do we feel about that? Um, Sleep and restfulness. Like, are we waking up feeling satisfied with our sleep? Um, Body aches, joint pain. Like, how do I move throughout my day and feel Um, I have a patient right now who just got diagnosed with celiac Mm. and had been having like terrible joint pain, like had to sit in the sauna every day, like debilitating pain. So, um, and then energy levels. So like energy, mood, those two go really closely together. So like for my mamas who are under eating, like when they're crashing at 3 p.m. every day and having a triple espresso, like can we work towards health so that we're not having to rely on these quick fixes throughout Mm -hmm. the day? Um, Means a lot to me. And then- the other aspect a lot of people look at is resting heart rate or VO2 max. Um, and most of my patients, we are just looking for sustainable ways to find what I call joyful movement. So like, what can you do today that like brings you joy in terms of brings you endorphins, but something that you are, are actually looking forward to. Like I want to go to Pilates or I want to go to yoga or I look forward to that class that I'm going to take. My number one thing that I always tell people that are trying to get into fitness, I would say, what do you enjoy doing? Because the thing you enjoy doing is a thing you're going to want to do. Does that mean that you're always going to want to do it? No, but the chances of you going to something that you enjoy obviously is a lot higher. Mm -hmm. Sleep. I am a crazy person about sleep. I need my eight to 10 hours of sleep or else I am a not a nice person. I will be the first one. I personally think as a society, as a society, we have kind of increased or we have idolized the lack of sleep like oh i only slept four hours because i was working so much or oh i pulled an all-nighter i never understood that in college i never did that i never abided by that how important is it for someone out there listening that's maybe struggling to fall asleep or is just struggling to prioritize sleep because that to me is like step one Mm -hmm. everything else aside it's like you can't have good nutrition if you're not getting a good night's sleep and allowing your body to really rest so yeah so lack of sleep i would say for women it's honestly higher than men so men can do like seven to seven and a half hours and that can be considered optimal women it's usually like seven and a half plus or very few women who function well on seven and a half hours of sleep it's usually more like eight or eight and a half I actually don't know why the difference is like research shows that men need less sleep than women. Part of me thinks it's like a hormonal restoration aspect. Um, But for 
women and men who don't get enough sleep, so your cortisol is higher because you're not fully rested, your blood sugar actually runs up to 30% higher, and so you're more hungry all day Mm -hmm. long, you crave more sweets all day long, you are um, more likely to be more dehydrated all day long, and then we tend to overeat because we're trying to make up for the energy that we didn't get from our restorative sleep. Um, It's a really dangerous cycle. Mm -hmm. So I usually recommend that people are off their screens for like an hour to two hours before bed that we're certainly not eating two hours before bed. Mm. This is a big thing. I have some patients who still believe in like the have milk before bed and that helps with my sleep. Not true. Um, An empty stomach or an almost empty stomach is really like the best way to get Mm -hmm. into a restful state. You can do blue light glasses if you need to be on a screen. Um, Doing something, I tell people to replace their phones with paper, trying to read in bed. It's like the best thing that I ever did. I'm a great sleeper, but I'm an even better sleeper now because I read Mm -hmm. before bed. Um, And then if you aren't sleeping well, to consider um, yoga meditation, if you can't do that, acupuncture, um, CBD, whatever it takes to get to sleep. Um, some people do variable with melatonin. So you want to work with your practitioner about dosing and timing for that. But um, I found that people do really well with acupuncture and meditation. All those have helped me. And if I can't sleep, usually just taking a few deep breaths mm-hmm. and not, it's usually if I've been on my phone or if I watched something before that was a little scary, like usually I can pinpoint it down. Another one, which I'm excited to get your opinion on this is caffeine. Mm-hmm. What is your take on caffeine? Is it good? Is it bad? I know there's not a black and white answer, but give us all the details on caffeine. I'm laughing because if any of my friends or patients or really anybody who knows my first name um, asked me about this, like I'm a caffeine queen. So Okay. Love. Same. I grew up in Seattle. My first job at 14, which was illegal and they pay me under the table, was mm-hmm. as a barista and I hated coffee at that time. And now I have a very strong love for coffee mm-hmm. and since I'm pregnant I have to moderate my coffee and oh my gosh, I, congratulations I did not know yeah, that I'm four months pregnant oh well um and you have to I like measure out measured out I'm neurotic about it but yeah. I love coffee and mm-hmm. the big thing that I found with coffee is one like anything it depends on why you're drinking it so are you drinking it in the morning because you like the taste do you enjoy it or are you you know, like grabbing it every day at 3 p.m. as your vice because you're trying to use it as a meal. You're trying to cut your appetite. You're trying to overwork or you're trying to under rest. What are we using it for? Like, what's the purpose? Love that. So if we are pairing it with breakfast because that's part of like our ritual and that's what makes us feel good and makes us alive, me, that's what I'm going to do, right? And mm-hmm. that's great. And um, the other thing to know though is that the types of coffee out there really vary. And so is your coffee mold tested? Is it organic? Has it been um, changed and kind of tainted to be, have added flavors to it? What are we working with? Is it pre-ground? So getting whole, organic, pre-trade, mold-tested coffee would be your go-to. So companies like Purity, Kion, Fabula um, all have those levels of testing And if you're really making it at home, taking those next steps to do that is going to make you feel better with the coffee that you're drinking. Looping it together with sleep, is there a direct effect? I've heard this myth before, so let me know if it's right or wrong. Drinking caffeine after noon or one is usually Mm -hmm. impacts, negatively impacts your sleep. Yeah. So um, I have a practitioner who I love who works a lot with hormone health. And Mm. when I was looking at kind of like my own hormone health, she was like really like afternoon, like just because of the way that your hormones fall in your cortisol track, like you really don't want to like stimulate Mm -hmm. further into the day. You're kind of working against yourself. And so trying to cut it off by noon, that is not always like a perfect science. Most of my patients, our goal is to cut it off by four um, for like high achieving corporate America. Cut it off by four and to also make sure that we're not using it to the point that it's causing sleep issues and more mm-hmm. anxiety and that we're not using it for a vice. And what you're adding to it. Like, are you drinking coffee or are you drinking a pumpkin spice latte? I know. We we could go on a tangent for this for about 30 minutes. I'm very, I do do nut pods, but I only use a small amount. And so yeah, I've kind of, I've had like a, I went matcha. I gave up coffee for a while and yeah. I've drifted back to coffee because I love the taste. Mm-hmm. But what you just said was kind of the awakening I had. I was depending on it too much to keep yeah. me awake during stressful jobs that I was in and just depending on it for yeah. that energy 
when I knew if I ate a big meal, I would just feel gross afterwards. And yeah. so I kind of noticed that so, noticed that about myself. And once I came off of it, I recognized how much I didn't need it. And that was a big wake up call for me because I thought I was so dependent on this drink. And once I really peeled back the later layers, I'm like, no, you're fine. You don't really need that much to survive. As long as you're fueling your body, you're sleeping, you're not waking up too early. All of those types of things was what I- So, you know, there's two big principles that come out of coffee intake is that if you are living a life that requires multiple intakes of coffee throughout the day because of stress, because mm-hmm. of your work schedule, like there needs to be some boundaries in place there. There needs to be a situation that that's temporary. Like, are we in med school? Are we studying for a test? Is this temporary? Is this transient? Are we going to move past this? Um, and then the other thing to consider is if you are chronically relying on coffee, is it because you need energy? And is that because you're calorie depleted? How do you know the difference? Are there certain signs that your body will give you? Yeah, good question. Um, We use a checklist with my patients. Like, has it been four hours? Um, Are you shaky? Like, if you feel your belly, does your belly feel empty? Right? So there's things to check in on to say, like, when was the last time I had my meal? Like, when was my last meal? Was it significant? Was it more than four hours ago? So a lot of times when we're in that fight or flight stage, we don't feel hunger because we're just like amped. Mm -hmm. And so one of my patients right now is like, I never have hunger. So we just have a rule. Like if it's been five hours, he's going to put food in his mouth. And his caffeine consumption has severely decreased because it's just hunger. It's not caffeine that he needs. Wow. This guy and I need to have a talk. Five hours and he's not hungry. Yeah. I would be ravenous. Yeah. But you have hunger signals. So sometimes it just takes the basics of like getting back to understanding like how to hear my body. Yeah. What's going on? Like I will have patients who are like, well, my head hurts and I'm de- and like I'm shaky. And I'm like, have you had lunch? Like, oh, no. Okay. Yeah. Step one. Yeah. Let's let's get a salad. Let's get some chicken, whatever. Yeah. But we overcomplicate things. I was and that's so where we're going when it's yeah. not when it's when we haven't simplified it, it's like, oh yeah, it could be that simple. I think one of the reasons that we've overcomplicated it is because there's a million different opinions, which there's a million different opinions about a lot of things. But when it comes to food, it's easy to get caught up in keto and paleo and this and this and this and think one is better than the other. When you said it best, each individual is different. In terms of intuitive eating and listening to your body, I think that can be convoluted because some people just you aren't used to tuning in. So what advice would you give for someone that's trying to turn away from fad diets or yo-yo eating, if you will, and really tune into more of an in- intuitive, holistic approach to yeah. their diet? So intuitive eating is something that... Is- sadly was not introduced to me until after grad school, which I went to grad school for clinical nutrition. So I wish have loved for that to have been part of that. Yeah. But um, Evelyn Tribole is the founder of Intuitive Eating, and she is an incredible dietitian, researcher, human. Um, but her 10 rules for intuitive eating are life-changing. Um, and so reading through those is really powerful. But when you read through them, you realize that there's things that's going to delay your progress. And so you want to clean up your social feed. So if you're following people who are promoting um, skinny fixes, detoxes, you know, spring break cleanses, whatever it is, you want to make sure that your environment is not affecting Mm -hmm. your choices. Um, I have had so many patients who can't get healthy because they have toxic friendships, right? They have Mm. um, Sunday brunch and it's like everybody drinks excessively or they have Saturday nights out and everybody has X, Y, Z, right? And it's not in a way where it's like, if I want to participate, I can. It's almost like this like requirement. Um, And so making sure that your environment doesn't force you to participate Mm. in something that you don't want to. And if anything, that your environment like spurs you to be what you want to be, empowers you to be better, right? Yeah. But um, one of her, you know, big things is like um, to make sure that like all foods fit and that there's no food fears. And so getting comfortable with uncomfortable foods Mm -hmm. is a big step and a big part of that. And yes, I want people to eat healthy and well, um, but I don't want my patients to be scared of cupcakes. Yeah. Um, Or feel like there's rules around food, but I want them to learn the function of food and I want them to learn what hunger feels like and how to properly address hunger so they don't get hungry again for four to five hours. 
what are tactical things that you tell your clients to kind of get out of that mindset of don't eat this, eat that? I think that is the hardest battle because we label left and right. Mm -hmm. And instead of just listening to what's inside of us. Yeah. So we focus heavily on the function of food. And so we break down, there's like different categories of food. We go through kind of a macro level look of like, these foods are carbohydrates. None of them are bad. They all have this function. This is what they do. Some of them have attached vitamins and minerals more so than others. This is why. Mm -hmm. But we go through it from kind of like a science approach. Like, you know, these are just the facts. And then we go through like how to pair those foods together to optimally create a meal that works for them. And so I have patients who one day for the carb at their meal will do black beans and one day we'll do a waffle and one day we'll do a cupcake and one day we'll do a sweet potato and they're all balanced and they all work and they are all accepted. And as they learn like, oh, I can have this food and it felt good and Mm -hmm. I enjoyed it and I wasn't stuffed and I didn't feel shame and I didn't feel guilt. Then we start to open that window to say like, I can do this and I don't have to do it every day, but at least I have the option to do it. And when Mexico comes along and that meal comes up, I know how to do it in a way that I'm confident in Mm -hmm. and not in a way that I'm like uncomfortable and don't know what to do. In terms of eating, you've mentioned different meals. Do you recommend people only eating three meals a day or I'm someone that eats smaller meals more often? Mm -hmm. That's just what works for me. I've never been a big like three meals a day person. I don't, it's just how my body works. Do you have an opinion on either side or do you feel it works better maybe for males to eat bigger meals than females? Yeah, good question. So it would depend on each person because nutrition's individualized. <laughs> yeah. So we, I work with patients individually on like, what does your day look like and what does it require? And so if you are a nurse who works night shift, your eating schedule is going to be very different Mm -hmm. than my nine to five corporate dad. Right. And so we figure out what works and we also look at what I call risky situations. So I have every patient has a risky situation. It's like the every day when I get home from work at five 30, I stuff my face because I'm starving. Right. So we like work backwards from risky situations to say like, why did we stuff our face? Like, what do we need to do differently early in the day to schedule and to plan appropriately for this? And so each person is different. I've had some patients who need, you know, three meals, two snacks. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of patients who do really well with like four, like kind of like four square meals. They mm-hmm. like are pretty busy. They work a longer day. We kind of do four square meals. It's easy. Um, but it really depends on the person and getting them getting in touch with their hunger signals. I do think that people tend to eat more often than they think they need to, but mm-hmm. that's only because of inadequate fueling at the prior meal. I was just going to ask, what's the biggest trigger for people overeating? Undereating. Undereating. How yeah. do you fix the undereating to prevent the overeating? Yeah. So um, it is very, very common. Like 90% of the time on every initial patient call, someone will be like, well, I always eat too much at dinner and I know that's bad. And what we know about food and nutrition is that there is no good and there is no bad. There's just Mm -hmm. a why. There's a purpose. And so we go back and say like, why are you eating too much at dinner? And it's chronically because we are under fueling throughout the day. So we are most active throughout the day. We use our brain the most during the day, our body the most during the day, the sunshine hours of our day. And that's when we eat the least. And with like the new push for intermittent fasting, women are like, I can drink espresso until three and then I mm. will eat, you know, and then we have like a Mikosina happy hour extravaganza. So it tends to be... <laughs> It is so much better for our bodies. And mm-hmm. research actually shows for like people who are pursuing fat loss, composition change, that when you eat more of your calories during the day when you need them and less at night, then when it naturally happens that way, when you eat a bigger breakfast, you eat less throughout the day because mm-hmm. your body just naturally dictates your hunger signals because your body is smarter than any diet plan out there. And then shocker. <laughs> and that you naturally then lose more fat too because you're eating at the times that your body is asking for food and you're not when it's not asking for food. But it's going to beg you for food at 8 p.m. if you have not eaten all day long. 
Of course it's going to. Why wouldn't it? Yeah, logic, you mm-hmm. know, this really cool thing called logic. Yeah. Intermittent fasting. I'm always hot on this topic because I think it, I tried it and I think it messed up my hormones. I don't yeah. know if I, if it's because I'm a female, but I do. It is because you're a female. Okay. What's and your that's t- a good sign, right? Like it didn't work for me because I'm a female and I have hormones. That is a great response because I if tried. it did work for you, that would be like, there is something wrong with your hormones. They are not responding. We're going to dive into hormones a little bit because I'm also super passionate on this topic. But I've seen a lot of people who try and swear yeah. by intermittent fasting. All the research on intermittent fasting that's successful is in the male elite population. So if you are an elite male and you are looking to lose the last 2%, John McDowell, who owns Vive, like this is the body type we're talking about. He is the perfect person for intermittent fasting. He knows how to stress his body. He stresses his body on a regular basis through anaerobic training, through hyperbarics, all this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. The male body thrives under stress and pressure. Like you go back to evolutionary days, like hunter-gatherer. Yeah. Who was the hunter? Not us. Yeah. We were the gatherers. We're like, chill with the berries, right? Do it. So male population, I have patients who want to fast and you're an elite performance great go for it stress yourself out lose that fat for women not helpful why is that not helpful for women because of our hormones yeah like if you stress your body it does not respond with like that was such a good idea we're going to give up some fat it's like we're dying we're going to hold on to all our fat something is attacking us hold on all that belly fat i knew it cortisol increased hunger and so much of it is unsustainable and so for that's female, just it. female mm-hmm. patients, it yo-yos. Every diet that a female ever does causes weight gain afterwards. Research shows that every woman who has ever dieted, the more dieting you do, the more weight you gain. It's a really bad outcome. You have to find sustainability. If it's not something that you can manage for six months, it's not going to work for you. How do you find sustainability? So, Women who want to do something like fasting, we talk about circadian fasting. This is not even fasting. This is just like not eating when it's dark out. So like Mm -hmm. after dinner, eat enough at dinner to sustain you. Find a good bedtime routine that doesn't involve- What's a good dinner time? 6 to 7 p.m.? It depends on the person, right? So dinner, good dinner time is two to three hours before bed. Okay. So if you're going to bed at 10, then yeah, Yeah. seven would be the Mm -hmm. latest that you would want to eat. Yeah. Like clean up your plate. You're not having- that like wine cracker thing after dinner, you are like doing sleepy time tea or a book or something, you are getting into bed. And then by the time you wake up in the morning, because you had eight hours of sleep, you also had that two and a half hours before bed, you're going to eat after a 12 hour fast. And that's not going to seem so crazy because you set yourself up with a good routine. You didn't have to starve yourself. You just naturally fasted overnight. That's that right there. That last part is what I hope everyone takes away from this episode is that there's a difference between fasting to get people away from overeating at night. And I Mm -hmm. feel like that was the intention was to get people away from late night snacking because it's just added calories right before you go to bed and it also impacts your sleep. So I think there's this misconception of fasting means I'm starving myself from here to here. When in reality, if you think about it, you're like, hey, okay, eat a big meal at 6 to 7 p.m. I don't go to bed till 10. Then I don't eat again till 8 a.m. That is a 13 hour fast. You're still fasting for a longer period of time. Yeah, so we go through, you know, like circadian fasting is like, Let's eat when it's light out and let's not when it's dark. And then let's look at the purpose of food. Like if it's 10 p.m. and we're sitting on the couch and we're eating, you know, Stacy's pita chips all night. Like what is the purpose of this meal? Mm -hmm. Are we hungry? Are we bored? What is the purpose here? And I think the hardest relationship to break is that relationship with food that says like, am I eating for a purpose that is different than hunger? We want to enjoy food, but like, Mm -hmm. let's put those pita chips at our meal when we're hungry, when we can digest it in a way that's relevant for our body. Food is usually attached to an emotion that you're feeling. I've noticed that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I know it is for me too. How do you talk people out of that? Are there certain- I don't. I want people to enjoy their food. I actually talked about this recently with people. Um, I want you to get excited about your meal and I want you to enjoy it. And it is okay to have emotions around food. Like- if I make a really good dinner, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so good. Like, oh, same. wow. I post it. Like, guys, look. <laughs> look at these Brussels. Like, how did they turn out so good? Yeah. 
right? It's just to make sure that the extreme emotions we're having, that we're not using food as like medication, right? Or to cover up something like a grief or a sadness Mm -hmm. that we need to process. Or we're not, you know, pretending that alcohol helps when we're sad, that we're addressing that. And that's really from like a mental health provider. And so 90% 90% of my patients also see a therapist. I have great therapy recommendations and they see them and to help with those situations. But I also like to remind people that like, it's okay to get fun with your food and like mm-hmm. your meals should be fun. Like you should be looking forward to your meal. I don't want it to be boring. I don't want it to be bland. I certainly want there to be like spice and fun and flavor. And that's what makes it sustainable. How can someone up level their diet? Maybe there's someone that is healthy 60 to 70% of the time, but they're just looking for that extra oomph to their diet. What would you tell that person? Ooh. Um, take inventory of the amount of different types of foods that you have. And so we look for 20 to 30 different plant foods per week for mm-hmm. good overall gut diversity. And so I get into this because like, I kind of like what I like. So like sometimes our same. fridge for like three weeks straight will kind of be the same, but I love that. Mm-hmm. But then I'm like, I only ate like eight plant foods this week. Like the only fruit I ate was apples. And like the only vegetable I ate was like spinach. And that's not enough for like a good overall healthy gut. You want to think like, where am I getting my good gut bacteria? Where am I getting my good prebiotics and fiber? You have to give your body that. So shopping seasonally or just like going to browse at Central Market to be like, what's fresh? What's new? Picking up some herbs, adding a new spice, getting some diversity, switching out your carbohydrate sides to be like, instead of quinoa this week, I'm going to do a white bean or I'm going to do a sweet potato or just getting some diversity into your diet in different categories can make a huge difference, especially for somebody who's already healthful and cooking and eating well. We're going to flip this over for someone who knows and understands that they're not eating the healthiest that they should be and they're starting to feel the side effects. What advice would you give that person on starting to tiptoe into a healthier way of life? Um, One, I think to um, kind of like sell yourself on it first. So like find some either like if you're a recipe book person, I'm not, they sit on my shelf, they're beautiful, but I don't cook from them. But like if it's Pinterest, if it's like Instagram videos, like follow Define Dish, follow Fed and Fit, like follow some fun sites that get you excited about Mm -hmm. food that's healthy. I had a patient recently who was like really into fast food and she was like, I've been cooking for myself and I actually like it. And I think that was a surprise to her that like, healthy food was going to taste good. Good. Mm -hmm. And so I think finding like accounts and influencers even that make you look at something and think like, "Mm, that looks yummy, right? Like your Foxtrot run, like things that you're like, oh yeah, great. And so getting excited about that transition so that it doesn't feel like a chore. It feels like something that you're looking forward to. I'll put a few of the, and I'll get some from you after like a few accounts. I know I follow the Define Dish, Mm -hmm. uh, Brock Your Body. I love her. There's a few that I follow and that's really helped me because I can get into the rut of eating the same thing over and over again, especially if I like it. And I notice that I start getting sick of it. And then sometimes I'm like, I'll just eat healthy cookie dough or like crackers when I really need to be eating a whole meal. And so that's really helped me as like- And part of that could be like your body is looking for like diversity and something fun, but it's bored. Exactly. And I'm easily, mm-hmm. I'm a creature of habit. And so once I know how to make something in my mind, it's like, it's quick, it's easy. I know yeah. it's going to taste good. So it's harder for me to branch out. But I also feel like there is so much fun in cooking and like yeah. enjoying making it, especially yeah. if you have a spouse or your friends, like there's so much. Well, and if you're in Dallas, I always recommend that people like before they try to make Brussels sprouts, like just go order them somewhere. Like, exactly. Go to Flower Child and get them. Like go to Eatsies and get them. Get them done somewhere that already knows how to do them well so that you can recreate it. Exactly. But like try it by somebody else first because the likelihood of you liking it is so much higher. Like we've all gone to that dinner party where somebody made some like artichoke dish or something and you try it and you're like, I didn't know I liked these. Mm-hmm. But somebody else cooked it. You don't have to put any work into it and you love it. And so it opens that window. Trial and error, like anything in life, there's going to be some things that you love. And I know there's some healthy things that I just can't wrap my head around and I just don't force myself. Like cauliflower is actually one, but I started putting it into smoothies Yeah, because I didn't like to eat it really, but I'll put it in a smoothie and then I don't taste it. So I feel like Mm -hmm. there's other ways that you can add stuff to your Yeah, you can like add nutrients without it having to have like the texture and the taste. And one of 
one thing I heard that I loved was instead of thinking of a diet as like taking things away, think about it as adding things in. What's yeah. kind of your so we call take it. We work on addition and not deprivation. Mm -hmm. And so like real food, real joy was kind of like our tagline forever because I wanted people to realize that like the addition is so much important than restriction. And I work with women who come to me and they are willing to like do anything for success. And I get that, right? Mm -hmm. Like if somebody's like, hey, in order to be successful or to have a six-figure business or to pay off your loans, like you're going to do X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, great, let's go. But when it comes to food, that's usually the least helpful thing that we can do. And so somebody who was their trainer, who was working outside of their scope, once said, you should just eat like chicken and broccoli and sweet potatoes, and that will help you lose that 10 pounds before you go to Miami next week, right? And so then they have that like little voice in the back of their head that's like, if I do less this week, if I take this out this week, I actually had a patient this week who knows this, but she's like, well, should I cut out dairy? And I'm like, why are we cutting out dairy? I'm like, is it because you're having a stressful week and you feel like you need to control something and deprive something? And she was like, maybe. I'm like, yeah. don't you don't you love your cappuccino in the morning? And she's like, yes. I'm like, okay, moving on, right? Yeah. But we were so easily excited about the fact of like, if I do less, right? If I just restrict this, if I control this, it'll create better outcomes. And our body thrives on the exact opposite, right? Mm -hmm like more variety, more enhancement. And often my patients are like undernourished when they come to me. Wow. Like they may be overeating, but, but they're undernourished. That makes sense. They're not eating en enough of the right foods. Exactly. Mm -hmm, at the right times for the right reasons. Dairy and gluten are always a hot topic. I've experimented yep. with both of them. What's your take on them being quote unquote bad or quote unquote good? I know each individual is different, but as an overall. Yeah. Um, dairy comes in a wide variety of forms. And so if you're going to do dairy, you want to do as close to the farm as possible. Um, I think dairy was a really hard one for me because I grew up, I am Swiss. I grew up on a dairy farm. Mm -hmm. And so we had like real butter, real cheese, real milk. And so it never seemed like a processed food to me because it wasn't. Yeah. And so when we get into cheese, like we're looking for like raw grass-fed cheese. You want to make sure any animal product that you're eating, that the quality of that animal's diet was as quality as your diet. Got it. So any meat product, any meat byproduct, we just want it to be quality. So certain patients based on their genetics are going to do better with more animal products than others. Mm -hmm. um, but in general, I think dairy is fine as long as it doesn't give you a tummy ache and it's giving you loose stools and you're pretending like that's not a thing, then it's totally fine to eat. Right. But like, let's do the grass fed full fat version. Let's not do the like Chobani 0% with 16 grams of added strawberry syrup at the bottom. Okay. And then yeah. it's better. Um, gluten, I think, is interesting. I think, same thing, like sprouted whole grains is where we want to go when we're consuming those products and see if those settle well with you. They mm -hmm. may settle just fine. Right. Or they may not. But we just want to decide how do you feel when you're eating that? Refined grains in any form are not doing our blood sugar any justice. What's the best way to balance your blood sugar? Is it a combination of foods? Yeah. Um, work with me. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of my patients, so we teach education around food. Um, no one is ever taught how to eat unless you went to a private school that I'm still not aware of, but I have yeah, yet no. to this date ever heard a student tell me that they went through a nutrition class that taught them how to eat, how to make a balanced plate. That's still not something that's taught, unfortunately. And even in grad school, I felt sorely underprepared to help patients. And with my own struggles and my own research, I started putting together balanced plates for patients. We use like a really easy acronym and it just makes sense and people start wearing continuous glucose monitors and they see the difference that what's the acronym vpfc what does it stand for vegetable protein fat and carb and we learn priority and portion and order of how those go and how they function and why and it's a game changer for my patients so i have been using this before glucose goddess released and glucose goddess is on the same page you can follow her she has two million followers i have a little bit less <laughs> but we have the same ethos when it comes to food and all of her research is based on continuous glucose monitoring and when i started using 
continuous glucose monitoring with my patients, I realized that what I was teaching them worked and that it was balancing blood sugar. It mm-hmm. wasn't causing spikes. It was keeping them full for four hours. They were satisfied. They could have variety in their diet, but they could enjoy their meals and it could be blood sugar bliss. Be Well by Kelly or Kelly Levesque mm-hmm. was the first person that I listened to and she talked a lot about that and that's how I got yep. super into smoothies was making sure that, because I think a lot of times you're like, throw all this fruit yeah, in there. Yeah, her smoothie method, it was really interesting when I started <laughs> balancing plates, I was looking for a smoothie recipe online and I found Kelly and I was like, have we been teaching the same things all along? And I there's a couple her. other practitioners mm-hmm. who were very aligned and we were kind of on the same timeline and ironically, you start feeling um, less alone in your practice yeah. when you find that there are other people out there seeing the same thing as you. I never thought blood sugar would become a big thing, especially in like a non-diabetes culture. Mm-hmm. And here we are now pe- preaching blood sugar, which I never thought I would do with a preventative group. And once you, th- once she started, exp- it all made sense to of me. I'm like, I, this makes total logical sense. It's just yep. to your point, we weren't taught that way. You're taught like no. carb, protein veggies and throw it at you and that yeah. was it i mean for yeah. me it's all been through self-discovery and like what works for me which that's the well, in most school, important I think thing i was really taught like the very micro like vitamin c and iron and like things are really broken down in yeah. very micro form and then like calories really macro form but like nothing in between exactly yeah and so it made it hard to say like well how am i going to feed my family or what does that look like and so one of my like favorite things to do is work with people who do have families and say like, like how are we going to cook meals? Like how do we mm-hmm. read, read a label? How do we grocery shop effectively for our family? How do we cook so that everyone's happy? Like how do we find spices and flavors that are delicious but also healthy? Because it's not taught anywhere. And I think there's a lot of shame around not knowing how to do that when you're in your 30s or 40s or whatever. But like where would you have learned it? Exactly. I learned a lot. I will say I'm so grateful. My mom taught me a lot how to cook and how to yeah, add things if you together. Have, right? Like traditional family mm-hmm. recipes are like the only way that people are really learning that. How to, And that has been the biggest, I think, lifesaver for me was just the ability to know how to cook because I didn't mm-hmm. realize that a lot of people don't know how to. And for me, no. it's, I mean- all the time and I it's my favorite thing to do with my mom is cook and I always bring home recipes to try my dad's a lot pickier but that's one thing that I'm like I'm so grateful that my Same. mom passed I mean I grew up me. cooking in college yeah. I went on multiple dates because I think they were like you know how to cook and I was like <laughs> yeah and I'm like yeah I'll totally cook for you and they're like really and I'm like yeah take me to the grocery store and like that's fine but I loved it and I never mm-hmm. knew any different like Same. we sat down at the table we ate our dinner we never rushed through and my husband was raised in a family that didn't cook and mostly ate out and so I taught him how to cook and it was just a very interesting experience to be like I can't believe that you don't know how to do these things yeah um but it taught me like what the norm was exactly and I'm so glad that there's so many more healthier options for people that are in maybe a go 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 lifestyle like if you can't cook every night of the week I know there's so oh many gosh, especially there's in so Dallas many now yeah and that's why I mean there are so many options and I think I push that to patients really quickly to say like use a prepared meal service use a chef like use someone to mm-hmm. make a meal to drop off like use some of these services that will come in home and cook like use some of the fast casual options we have like there are really awesome nutrient-rich food options in Dallas more so than there ever was before. It's easier now than it ever was to eat healthy. And this is your sign to go out there and do it. A few more questions. I'm excited to hear your answer on this. What is one thing that you feel Americans are doing that we deem as healthy that is actually hurting us in our health? Good question. I think the fasting one was what my answer was going to be. Okay. Um, Especially, I think... Like not eating breakfast, I would say, is like a huge one. Like not eating early on in the day to fuel your brain for the incredible things you're going to do that day. Like it seems crazy to me Mm -hmm. now looking back to be like, how did I not eat breakfast? Like I tried intermittent fasting. Everything that I've ever researched, I try, right? So I waited until 1 p.m. to eat. All the patients I saw in the morning, like I'm so sorry. Like I was horrible, right? Like I wasn't focused. I was jittery. I needed energy. I needed food. So I think making it okay, normalizing it, but also like accepting it. Like it's great for you to eat breakfast. If you want to cut anywhere with food, cut the 10 p.m., right? Like cut the 2 a.m., cut the 9 p.m. happy hour, cut the evening. 
This is along the same lines. What's the biggest health myth that you feel is out there that you want to debunk or that being plant-based is a healthier way to be? Why? Well, this is perfect (laughs) that you said this because I literally had this thought when I was on the, I was just in Tulum and we were all eating vegan. And I turned to one of the girls and I said, I don't think this is a healthier way of eating. So I would say in 2022, it is very hard to eat a whole foods, plant-based, balanced, non-deficient diet. And most of my patients who have been vegan or vegetarian for long term have a really hard time meeting their needs. And they know that like if they Mm -hmm. were raised vegetarian or raised vegan, they know and they supplement their deficiencies and they're very aware of it. But I would say like we have this very new age plant based diet that is so, so unhealthy. And it's being fueled by like Beyond Meat and Kim Kardashian Mm -hmm. and all of these like influenced products that are really just like canola oil and soybeans so bad for you isolate and so it's really just like a new Mm -hmm. junk food and so if you want to do plant-based you have to know that you're going to have to supplement it that it is going to cause deficiencies um and like being really careful with blood work because of that certain people genetically just can't handle that much oxalate at one time and really knowing that in the long run it's not going to be done in like the sexy 2022 way that it's being shown like it needs to be done with like a shit ton of kale and whole foods and it's not like it's being portrayed i consider myself plant focused yes so all my patients what is what i call i mean i call them plant based or plant rooted because i want them to have vegetables at every meal my Mm -hmm. patients eat meat and they eat more vegetables than anyone else do you feel outside of you because you're amazing uh but do you feel it's because there's not a restriction or why do you feel that they're eating so many vegetables because there's meat to supplement it because it's first priority like we go through like i think that vegetables are first priority but i don't think that they're the only priority exactly So vegetables have a purpose and they have a huge purpose in your Mm -hmm. diet, but you don't have to be vegan or you don't have to be plant-based to get that balance. The balance lies within doing both, getting your iron sources and your CLA and your protein from a grass-fed meat along with a ton of vegetables next to it is like the most beautiful balance. I don't know if you're going to answer this, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Can you give an example day of what you would recommend? If you want to break it up male and female, that's totally fine. But mm-hmm. what someone would see for an average breakfast, lunch, and dinner, just an example of mm-hmm. something. Um, I'll give you an example like one of my patients. So okay, um, they get up in the morning and do a big breakfast scramble that the whole family has. Like they have two kids. So they make a breakfast scramble. They throw in some veggies. They have some fruit on the side. Everybody has breakfast together, different sizes, different amounts. Like eggs? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, breakfast scramble with eggs, veggies, okay. let's say like spinach, basil, sweet potato, whatever, some leftovers from the night before. Throw it in, fruit on the side. They head out. Everybody has a different size because they're all different size humans. Got it. Um, have some coffee with their meal. Parents do, not the kids. <laughs> head out for the day. Um, lunch rolls around. Both parents work from home. And so they usually have leftovers from the night before because we use the rule of like cook once, cook double. And so they've doubled up from what they made the night before, which is like a spaghetti squash, turkey, tomato sauce deal. And they have some like sourdough bread on the side that goes with it. Three o'clock hits. They're headed off to pick the kids up from school. They pack meat sticks with them because everybody should carry purse jerky because it's game changer. (laughs) Protein. They keep it in the car. They have some if they need it. And then they give one to their kids if they need it because it's a great protein source. They come home, make dinner together. Their dinner tonight is going to be doubled because they want to use it for dinner tomorrow as well. They're doing like bonza pasta. Love it. And they're starting because we like to do veggies first as a starter. So they've cut up like cucumbers with hummus that they're doing with like the kiddos as they're cooking dinner. That's kind of out on the plate. And then they have bonza pasta that they do with jerky meatballs. Ooh, I love it. We're gonna have to do a part two because I could literally talk to you for three hours. I'm obsessed with this topic. Okay, so that's what someone eats in a day. I like that. Bonta pasta is awesome. So in good. terms of, I mean, I can ask you a million. I actually also really like Explore Cuisine. If you haven't tried their edamame pasta. Ooh, no. It's delicious. And it, there's a black one and a green one, which throws people off, which I really enjoy. So 
I did lentils for a while, yeah. like the lentil the pasta. Lentil and I absolutely great. loved it. Yeah. I've done brown rice. I used to do a little bit of lentil and then a little bit of brown rice because the lentil sense, was a little heavy. Protein and starch. Yeah. Mm. And it was like a little, I don't know. I just felt like my stomach was getting a little overwhelmed from like too All much the of the lentil. Yeah, exactly. And so I was just like, oh, it kind of felt heavy. But once I mixed the two, boom. That's great combo. Night and day difference. If someone, we kind of touched on this at the beginning and I want to kind of close it with this overwhelmed maybe they're listening to this or they feel that overwhelming in terms of food and nutrition and all of the things out there what is one piece of advice that you would give them on simplifying their diet because i truly think it's a lot more simple than we make it out to be i think that society continually tries to tell you that you can't trust your body and i want you to know that you can so if you wake up in the morning and you're hungry and you're like oh but i shouldn't eat because so-and-so doesn't eat until 10. No, eat. And then if lunchtime comes and you're like, I'm really craving X, have it, right? Like trust your body and take a week. If you've been intensely dieting, take a week to just trust your body and see what you notice. This is the best thing I ever did. When I Mm -hmm. had been intermittent fasting and I went back to eating breakfast, I was like, I feel really good eating breakfast. Is that wrong? And it felt so right. Yeah. But it was hard to remind myself that because like everywhere you turn, it's mm-hmm. like intermittent fasting, all these things. And I do now what makes me feel best. And so you, at the end of the day, have to know that like your individualized body has a unique prescription and you have to trust that. I love that. And we're going to end on this because this is a very personal question, but I have to ask you this. In terms of eating before workouts, Mm -hmm. what's your opinion or do you recommend? For me personally, I feel I get a little nauseous sometimes if I eat too much before I work out. So I'll fast, but I am training for half marathon as you've seen on my Instagram. And I feel like I I might need something before. So do you recommend- that you were training for half marathon and I'm like, this girl really loves to run. (laughs) Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I do to run because I have too much energy and I have too much time, but- I just am, am doing the one in December, but what's your take on eating before working out for females and males? Cause I know it's different. Probably. Are you talking about working out in the morning? Yes. So okay. I'm a morning. I used to do like 6am classes. I don't mm-hmm. do that anymore. And obviously I wouldn't eat then. Cause I literally just woke up, yeah. but now it's a little bit later. I'll be up for like an hour or two before, which is better for my cortisol levels. Yeah. Yes, that. So it is better hormonally for females to eat before a workout. I know in the morning it is very hard. So what we do is like mini bites. So like like half a hard boiled egg or like a bite of Greek yogurt. We just start small. A half of a banana is like usually what I'll do. Yeah. So I usually don't have people do fruit because sometimes it's acidic. And so it like will sit on people's stomachs a little bit. You could, if fruit works for you, totally. I just wouldn't get into like citrus, right? So like banana would be where I would stay. I wouldn't do apple or orange because of that acid content. Okay. Um, But I have done hard boiled eggs. I have done like um, one of my patients does uh, almond butter toast in the morning and just like a small slice, but it works great for her for Mm -hmm. sustained energy because she does more of an endurance class. Um, I have some people who will do like like half of a protein bar in the morning, but even something little is enough to tell your body, like you are fed. I am not starving you as we're going into this workout. It's more of like that calming down of the body being like, I haven't eaten for 12 hours and you're asking me to do what? We want to calm that down. Okay. I've been doing green juice and I've noticed that that has actually helped, which is weird. I mean, it's like celery, cucumber and lemons, but I have noticed that that I don't feel as like crash or exhausted mm. after I run as I've started doing that. Yeah. I would think that because it's like no fiber, it's going to digest super quick. So I would do your banana over the green juice just okay. because it's like going to shoot you up and drop you down. Okay. Where if you have like a little bit of protein or a little bit of fat, like more of like a smoothie would do better than a juice. Okay. Because it would give you like a little bit more to go off of. Okay. In the morning. So like half a banana, like almond butter or like yeah. a sunflower yeah. butter. Okay. That's mm-hmm. what I was Your thinking. Your sun butter that you got. Yeah. That would be perfect. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like that. Per- that was a very personal question. So I had to yeah. ask that. But, but so like, and like uh, research shows it doesn't matter performance wise if you eat before. It's really independent to the person. Some people okay. do better fasted. Some people do better fed. But from a hormonal standpoint in the morning, better to do fed. Um, men are fine to stay fasted. And there's research to show obviously that men do better in fasted workouts. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. I assumed it was because I was a female. I could tell that my cortisol levels were a little bit off. Mm -hmm. And I knew it's because I would wake up, drink coffee, and then go to a hard workout. Oh, I used to do like, oh my gosh, like 16 ounces of coffee on the way to my workout and then take like a kickboxing class. And then like, of course, my cortisol levels were insane. Mm -hmm. And now I work out. I will even drink like bone broth on the way to my workout. That's a nice, easy protein. Gives you some glutamine, settles your stomach. And then I will work out. And then it's not like I'm having to chew something Mm -hmm. nice and liquid. So. Love that. Okay. That was perfect. All right. Um, Let me make sure. Is there anything else that I haven't touched on? I mean, I literally could talk to you for three hours. So I know there's probably a lot that we haven't talked about because this is one of my favorite topics. Is there anything else that you feel I have two final questions that you want to talk about before we kind of wrap this whole thing and tie I don't with think the, so. Okay. The final two questions. The last one is what is the give the audience? What's the biggest piece of advice for living an overall healthy life that we have not touched on today? Leave them with one last drop of knowledge. We touched on this a little bit, but you talked about like how much you love to cook and how much you have brought recipes home from your mom and how much that's done for you. And so if anything, I would say like the more time you spend in the kitchen and the time that you spend in the kitchen, you'll never regret. Like the best thing that I do is cook dinner with my husband and it's the most sustainable health habit that we have. It also like makes us healthier. It grows our marriage. It gives us time for communication. And I think that so much of that time is lost in our society. And Mm -hmm. so taking the time to cook, you'll never regret all of those concepts for you, for your future children, for your family, um, for the traditions that it creates, I think is so powerful from a health measure. And you could be cooking anything, right? Um, But really like the likelihood of you creating a more healthy meal at home is more likely than if you're eating out. It's such a stress reducer too. I've, there's yeah. so many things about it that I just love. Well, thank you so much for being on. This was awesome. And we're definitely going to do a part two probably sooner, maybe like right after the new year, we can do a new year Ooh, nutrition. New year, te- new you. Yeah, nutrition episodes. So we'll set that up because this conversation, as you all can tell, it's been going on for an hour and a half because I'm obsessed with all things about this. But the last question I ask everyone is, Whitney, what are you grateful for today? Um, today I'm grateful for my family. This has been, um, one of the hardest years of my life and they are, um, incredible support system. So thankful for my family. I love that. I am going to say that I'm grateful for my health and the ability to have healthy nutrient foods around me. As I went to Foxtrot earlier and I just got all these healthy things, I feel like my obsession with it is obvious. Everyone knows about it. I talk about it on Instagram, but I'm just so healthy that I have the access to it and the availability to feel my body in the way that makes me the most productive. So thank you so much for being on. Thank you. This was awesome. How was it? So good. (laughs) You can take these off. Oh my gosh, my ears are hurting.